Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. Unfortunately, the Knicks' nine-game winning streak is kaput, but luckily, I'm joined tonight by DJ Zulo of Knicks Film School and the Craft NBA YouTube channel to break it all down, including uh, why the Knicks were just too tired to win tonight and what Tom Thibodeau could have done to save them anyways. That right now on Locked On Knicks. Anthony for three. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and I want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day we are now available on all platforms, and that includes on YouTube, so if you haven't seen our smiling faces day in and day out throughout this incredible stretch of Knicks basketball, I highly encourage you to check out our YouTube channel. Once you're there, remember to hit that subscribe button so you never, ever miss a video like today. Put out a two-parter. You probably watched the, our first episode with Dallas this morning. You're like, all right, they're they're done for the day. Uh, no, but if you if you hit the subscribe button and you hit the notifications bell, uh, you'll never ever miss it when we decide to go for a twofer. But who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster, favorite play-by-play broadcaster. Typically, I'd be joined by the legend Alex Wolf, editor in chief of the Strickland. But instead tonight, it is DJ Zulo, um, who I've had on a couple times this year, and anyone who has listened know he's a guy with a with a real eye for the minutia of the game and uh, and a bit of a shot doctor as well, which actually comes up with Quentin Grimes on this podcast um, and a whole bunch of other good stuff. So if you want some uh, unique insights on uh, why the Knicks fell tonight, uh, we'll have for you right now on Locked on Knicks. All right, guys, as promised, we are lucky enough to be joined by DJ Zulo. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at ace underscore Zulo, where there is a link in his bio to his fantastic YouTube channel, uh, The Craft NBA, where he breaks down just sort of like some of the minutiae of the league and, and what makes certain players great. I have learned a ton from it, so I cannot recommend it enough to everyone else. And he also does work uh, for our friends over at Nick's Film School. DJ, man, I wish I wish you were here <laughs> under better circumstances we were just talking about it. last time you came on it was the Knicks brutal early season loss to the Nets this one this one a little better given given everything that's happened recently but uh still not great but you know what misery loves company so thank you so much for coming yeah. on I guess I guess the only place to start the Knicks had a 13 or maybe it was a 14 point lead in the third quarter they got up um, again by nine in the fourth um they only allowed two points over the first five minutes of the fourth quarter um, and somehow found a way to uh, lose this basketball game. An exhausted team, perhaps. But w- what did you see in terms of the breakdowns from the Knicks down the stretch of this ball game? Yeah, I think you nailed it with the exhaustion part. Uh, they their three best players tonight quickly. Barrett and Randall played upwards of fifty minutes, uh, fifty plus minutes in some cases in that Boston game, and it just seemed like they were stuck in cement a little bit. And you know the shots weren't falling and the part that was really eye-opening is that for the first time in a long time, the Knicks were just slow to the ball and being mm-hmm. beaten to the ball by a team that was just playing a little bit harder. And it just goes to show that, you know, especially with no Brunson, this team's margin for error is so small that they win because they play harder than everyone. Their rotations are great. They're crisp. They don't turn the ball over and they, they handle the backboards and they didn't do any of that tonight and it beat them because without Brunson there, as I mentioned, they just didn't have that guy that could, you know, hit a floater to kind of stave the team off or just even when nothing was happening, he's such a good isolation player that even if the offense is kind of meandering around and not getting much movement, he's still able to get a good shot. And with Randall not really having it and RJ really struggling in the second half, 
it just got to the point where they just didn't have enough shot making, didn't have enough offense to hold off a team that was playing really hard. And I think the Knicks thought once they got up big in the second half that they were going to come out in the third and the Hornets were going to just roll over. And they when and when they didn't, and the Knicks were in, in the dogfight, they didn't have that extra gear. And I think it's because of that Boston effort uh, two days ago just is really um, hamstrung them. It just didn't allow them to get to that next level that they had uh, had to get to in that fourth quarter. Yeah, I'm I'm 100 percent with you. Um, it, it just it, it felt like Tibbs was was searching and searching mm-hmm. and searching, especially late in the game. And I mean, part of it was they they had R.J. Barrett to carry them early. Like, and we we can we'll get deeper into it. But he was incredible early in this game, nine for thirteen. Um, and then just made one of his final 11 shots down the stretch, which I I, I had to like double check that. I I didn't think it was it was that bad down the stretch, but but it, it was for R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle um, shoots. Just let me let me double check this. Yeah, five for 17 from the field of Manuel quickly, just five for 16. And I think I think if you're Tom Thibodeau, this is this is one of those losses that it, it sort of reminds you of, of the dark side when it's been it's been nothing but positive for him for a while. But this is a game where you you probably had to rely on your bench. Mm-hmm. A little bit more, and and initially, like on on like a surface level, I was like, all right, maybe that meant like more Obi Toppin, um, more more Deuce McBride, and that that would have been good. And I think it would have been great to like put Obi in different positions, let him run some pick and roll. I know, I know, God forbid, Obi, Obi the guy he drafted <laughs> to be like maybe one of the best rim runners in the NBA gets to gets to do that right. um, with with Isaiah Hardenstein maybe providing a little spacing, or you, you go small play Obi at the five. I don't know, but I like the more I sit with it, like even if it had meant bringing out like one or both of Derrick Rose and Evan Fournier, I think Fournier in particular could have been useful tonight just with his shot making. And even if he's not great defensively, I actually thought he played better defensively the last time he got a try in the rotation. Like it's not as big of a gap as you normally have because guys like quickly, like just weren't as good. Like he went from looking like an all NBA first team guy. Oh, sorry. Not all NBA. Well, yeah. All NBA first team, but all, all defense first team You're right. against Boston. Yeah. To like, he was a little bit of a space cadet and like Terry Rozier got multiple threes and you had one where he got killed on a screen and Randall just like sunk too far into the paint. And those are, I mean, those, those are errors of like mental and physical fatigue, I think. And that's fine. But if you're Tom Thibodeau, I don't know. I think there was a pivot to be had there with, with maybe some of the guys deeper in your bench. And also I think that kind of builds camaraderie when these guys that have been sitting and like, especially Rose and Fournier have been great soldiers, like get to play and maybe get to be the heroes for one night at MSG and, and lead you to a win. And, and if they don't, you know what? You won nine in a row. You can you can afford a schedule loss every once in a while. Like when you're up, I don't know, two games now in the fifth seed race. Like I, I that, that's just my read on it. Yeah, I think it just speaks to the fact that you know, as great as this season has been thus far, this was a game where you just would like uh, Tibbs to maybe adjust on the fly. And we know now in his th- his third season as a Knicks head coach, that's not a strength of his, and not something he is apt to do. And you know, whether it was Fournier or Rose or, or as you mentioned, even playing Toppin and McBride, who I thought both, I know Toppin didn't shoot the ball amazingly, but he was a plus and the, and the plus minus McBride was, was plus he had eight points. And I thought he played really well. One of his better two way games in a long time. And I just thought that those two guys could have been extended a little bit. I think, you know, Julius, it was pretty apparent early on that he just didn't have his stuff. And I think it was a game where Toppin could have played 18 to 20 minutes and I think they would have been better off for it. And I think McBride should have played a little bit more. And it's just, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you take the good with the bad with uh, Tibbs. In general, I think he's been – he's gotten this team to play so hard and so, he's so well prepared. But in a game like tonight where you just needed him to adjust on the fly and maybe change things up, it's just not in the cards for him. It's not something he – I don't even know if he's processing this as an option. 
what you're talking about, maybe playing a couple of guys that haven't played in a while or extending minutes of a, a couple of guys that don't play that much. Uh, so th- that was a bit frustrating. And it just seemed like, as I mentioned before, they just didn't seem like they were quick enough to the ball. I mean, Mitchell Robinson was, there was one stretch where in the second half where he gave up a couple of offensive rebounds and he just seemed like he was exhausted I and mean, Randall exhausted quickly, as you mentioned, didn't really have it. And then RJ in the second half, all those drives to the basket where he was getting all the way to the rim, you know what? I think the Hornets did defend him a little better in the second half, but he wasn't getting all the way to the basket. Then he was forcing up those push shots from like four to six feet out that are, has have been, you know, really an efficient shot for him uh, since he's been in the league. So it's a lot of things that went wrong. So it would have been nice to, to see tips push a, a couple of different buttons for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you you nailed it in particular. Like that third quarter was was just brutal on the offensive glass. At one point, Tibbs took a timeout where he's like, "Guys, get it together!" Yeah, and then and right. they still they still couldn't do it. And I mean, Mitch at points made uh, Nick Richards look like Shaq down there, just like clearing out room. And it was like, "All right, if he catches the ball too far down low, like you got to foul him." And it was and it just I mean, this game in some ways it felt like a third overtime against the Celtics, except they were playing the Hornets, which which is why it was still a game. But yeah, yeah they were they were they were wiped and and understandably so. And I, I think we, I, I always, I always bring this up. We talked about it with uh, Dallas Amico the other day, but, but Tibbs is, is kind of like, like he wants to like, this is a little demeaning for maybe the coach of the year, but like he wants to carry around like his, like his binky or like his little toy with him. And for him, that is like the guys who have gotten him there, the guys that he thinks are solid on both ends of the floor. And the great thing about the Josh Hart acquisition was it gave him the option to play nine guys every night who, for the most part, like, of course, like you have your issues with RJ at times, like sometimes like OB isn't really getting it done on like one or or both ends, but for the most part, like guys who are two way players, or at least aren't utterly destructive on one end or the other. And like, once you've lived in that world and you're Tom Thibodeau and that's his, that's his happy zone. That's his comfort place. Like whatever McDonald's playhouse uh, for those so inclined. Um, He um, it's, it's hard to go back to like being like, Oh, I don't want to watch Evan Fournier blow a switch and give up a wide open three. And instead you settled for like, again, Julius Randall sinking too far, like a bunch of times in the first half where Kelly Oubre was getting his little push shots to go down just because like the big was, in my opinion, like dropping a little bit too much. And, and Oubre is a good scorer. Like some of that is just, is just good. Like him making shots. And it's a good reminder that it's the NBA. You can lose to anyone, yada, yada, yada. But like, it just, it just felt like fresher legs were called for. So DJ, I want to, I want to yeah. take a quick break. Um, but when we come back, I, I want to get your thoughts on the good from RJ Barrett because I, I thought this was especially the first two and a half quarters, one of his better performances on the season. So we'll talk about that, that next on Locked on Knicks. All right, guys, we'll be back in just a sec with DJ. But first, I'm really geeked out by our new partner and sponsor for today's episode, the mobile game, Ultimate Pro Basketball GM. Ever dreamed of becoming an NBA GM and managing your basketball franchise? Well, your dreams can come true. And this game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team, play through the season, and lead your team to glory. You're responsible for hiring the right coaches and assistants, trading and training players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft, and all the ups and downs of a season. All this in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Pro Basketball GM is completely free and playable online. Play on the go as you want and when you want to. Guys, uh, we were we were lucky enough to get a trial run of this with our fellow Lockdown hosts. And I'm having such a blast because, you know, on this podcast, I always like to talk a big game and say, you know, if I, if I were running the Knicks, this is what I would do. But but this game actually lets you find out what it would be like. And I, I, I won't ruin it for anyone, but it's a little bit tougher uh, than you think while still being a whole lot of fun. Uh, Lockdown Knicks listeners get a 100 
100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code locked on in the game store. So make sure to go check it out to download the game. Just visit probasketballgm.com, scan the code, or look it up on the app stores. That's probasketballgm.com, ultimate basketball GM. Start your dynasty today. All right, uh, we're back on Locked On Knicks with DJ Zulo again. You can check him out on Twitter at Ace underscore Zulo. Uh, DJ, what what did you like from RJ Barrett tonight? Because there was, was a whole lot of good. And, and, and when it felt like the Knicks were going to win this game, I thought we were going to open up, spend maybe 10 minutes on RJ Barrett because he was, he was that good early on. He carried them in the first half, and his processing was really strong. I thought he was really uh, dominant getting all the way to the basket. And then when he didn't, he was making these drop-off passes to Mitch he had a couple of those that for assists and just was able to just seem like he was in complete control. And it's, it's the game that, you know, the RJ that when he came into the league, this was sort of like the archetype of what he was going to be, where he was going to be this downhill threat getting to the rim, but also have this passing acumen to really sort of stress the defense. And I thought he showed those attributes in that, <clears throat> in that first half. And as I mentioned, the second half, things got sort of, condensed for him in the middle and he didn't really adjust uh towards that i mean he scored i think 27 points on 24 shots um mm. so i mean it's it's a sort of like high volume rj that is uh, kind of keeps you from projecting him necessarily as like a one or two option on a team but as but in that first half it just seemed like he had everything going for him and it, he really took advantage of mark williams in, in the sense that I thought Williams had a lot of trouble sort of navigating that. Do I go to RJ and try to block that shot or defend the rim or keep an eye on whoever he's going to drop that ball off to us. So I thought that cat and mouse game, RJ was winning that. And then in the second half, it just seemed like the Hornets were a little more physical with him and preventing him from getting to the basket, eliminating that sort of um, option where he can dump it off. And it was just left RJ to either pass that out to the perimeter for a reset or try to throw up a inefficient push shot, which, he did uh, far too often um, in that second half. So um, definitely a, a game in the end where there's probably more positives than negatives. And then you have the Boston game, which I thought was a big positive. So I think there's some something to build on for RJ going into this West Coast trip, but uh, would have loved to see him sort of process the game a little better in the second half. And maybe that is fatigue. As you mentioned, this team is doggedly tired so I mean when you're tired you don't you're obviously not going to process the game immensely as strongly as you would if you um you know have your your full energy energy reserve so I think that obviously uh, played a part as well but uneven performance but over the last uh you know few games I think there's been some signs that he's starting to come out of this rut and he's the guy that's going to level them up a little bit you know give this team the uh, extra push to maybe win uh, compete for a second round playoff uh, matchup. You know, that's the uh, sort of uh, talent he has. And um, he's the guy that I think can get, give them that little edge for sure. Yeah, I think I think you. I mean, you, you saw it against Boston, where I mean, his, his north south verb against that team with their perimeter defenders is, is just essential because the Knicks just are not like an incredibly physically talented basketball team and and that's obviously of course there's like different kinds of physical talent like like what quickly does is, is incredible like what, what Brunson does like his his hand eye is like top one percent of top one percent even even in the NBA um but in terms of just like brute like put your head down and like run through someone as built as Jalen Brown and get to the rim like that's what RJ brings to the table in the first half he had that to your point plus the mental processing like like 
I, I always think like him making those slip passes to whether it's Mitch or Hartenstein, like that is kind of the ultimate litmus test if he's having a good game, if he's getting just in position to be able to do that and then executing it like that, that is a fantastic sign from him. And, and it was like kind of a great adjustment from that Boston game where like early on he, he missed on a, on, I think like two or three different lobs. Um, and this game, like it was over and over again, like he, he was just spamming it, like getting to the rim to your point. Like his just his patience and his, his understanding of like how to like play out the string in the pick and roll and, and most of the time that was to pass, but he had won early third quarter or maybe it was late second quarter, but I think he got um it might have been uh Ubre um on his hip. Um, yeah, kind of put him in jail a little yeah, bit yeah. And, and hit that floater or a little push shot. And then uh, he just he yeah. just kind of like sat there and and the big yep. I can't remember if it was Richards or Williams, but he just just never committed. And he's like, All right, I'll I'll take two points, but his like that that is what you want to see from RJ and it's what I, I guess from my perspective still gives me hope for the future with him that like you know he has that in in there and like and like sometimes like he plays as if he's not the smartest player but that's like he he is like he's just sort of like deciding not to always make like the quote-unquote like kosher basketball decision and I think we saw that in the second half when like the Hornets like I think from what I saw like they were just sending kind of a second defender to the nail and like making it harder for him to go left because early in that third quarter like the Knicks were just like over and over and going to like it was usually quickly like giving him a dribble handoff looping one way and then he would either just like go straight off that or like occasionally run like a like a sort of pick and roll like where Mitch never really made contact and and just he was getting to the rim for layup after layup and the Hornets adjusted and for RJ, the adjustment off of that a lot of times, it just feels like it's just to make the next pass, right? Just to trust someone else to do it. And you see him, like, to your point, over these last four games, doing that more and more. He even had one tonight where he just – it was he literally just, like, he Mitch dove. The defense went with Mitch. He kind of, like, half-faked to Mitch, and then he just threw it to the opposite wing to Randall. That's not a play that's going to show up on any highlight tapes, but if he does that consistently, he will go for a guy who, like, for much of the year has been, like, the Knicks outside of Jericho Sims, like, their worst, um, like, net rating guy, to someone who, like, treads water at the very least. And, and it feels, it feels simple, but it feels, it still feels far away for him sometimes. Yeah. And I, I want to hear, cause, cause I don't have a great read on this. So what did you think of him on the defensive end? Because I thought, you know, this is going to be one of those games where I'm going to have to rewatch it to really get a great feel for it. But it seemed like he was great in the Boston game on the, on that end defensively. But I thought tonight it was a little more uneven. Did you read it the same way or did you think that he was more good than bad on that end defensively? Yeah, on, I'm on the first I'm, watch. I'm someone who, unless like you're making flash plays the whole game, like I, I also I cannot tell watching it once, and yeah. you usually usually need to watch it again. Um, I, I he had one really good play where it wasn't his responsibility, but he got out on. I want to. I'm trying to find it in my notes. I think it might have been Gordon Hayward, and, and and he's done that. He did that against. Um, I I might have been Ariel, someone or maybe Steve Jones. Someone someone clipped it from the other game, but he did that against. Boston to or it was Benji it was Benji um and like where it wasn't it wasn't his job and he still like raced out of the paint to make a play and I think you're seeing more of those those hustle plays for him and I, I was kind of wondering like because he he just is like a little like heavy-footed defensively and I wonder if sometimes like, I think I'm guilty of this confusing that for laziness sometimes where like mm. he's making the right play and he's seeing it in time and he's just like a little slow to get his feet moving and that might just be a physical limitation and we like associate him as like if, if not like a great athlete like a good one on offense and he might just not quite be that defensively outside the fact of how strong he is. But I, yeah. I mean, I, I just thought, I just thought team wide, there were, there were a lot of brain farts in the second half. And and again, it kind of just, it kind of just boils down to a tired team, but, but DJ, what'd you, um, what'd you see from Emmanuel quickly in this one? I mean, coming off uh, the best game of his career, obviously got off to a very cold start shooting the ball. And, and then it felt like he was able to kind of like to do some better things as the game went along. 
Yeah, he, he had that stretch early on. I think he missed his first four or five threes and then hit a couple. And, and these are wide open shots that I think Randall ended up um, assisting him on uh, out of that uh, right corner. So it seemed like he was kind of getting it going. It, he, he, like the, This is going to sound like a broken record, but he just seemed like things were a little bit slow for him. Uh, you had touched on some of the defensive um, issues where it just seemed like, you know, Rogier is one of those shooters where, he can he could do it off the dribble, off movement, where he just needs a split second and he can get up into a shot. And if you're he doesn't need a ton of room. And I think that, you know, if you're quickly and you're a little bit slow and he's such a great screen navigator in general, but it seemed like it wasn't uh, a super strength uh, today. And if you're a little step slow, he's going to get up. And if he's making shots, you know, it's going to be a tough night. And then offensively, it you know, he's it just seemed like things were a little bit slow for him in terms of uh, processing. And I thought that there was a couple of moments where late in the game, he had open three point opportunities and he either passed them up or there was one where he tried to draw the foul really late in the game. I think it was the Knicks were down three at this point where it just seemed like he could have pulled up for a three pointer, ended up taking it in, try to draw the foul. He didn't. And I think Randall got called for that offensive foul um, on Rogier eventually, but it just seemed like, some of the decision-making wasn't um, at its best. And, you know, if the shots aren't falling for him and, you know, from three or from that floater range, he's not going to, he's not a dynamite rim runner. He's not going to guy that's going to be able to drive and, and generate a ton of looks in that way. So things will be tough for him, but, you know, it's hard to criticize him too much because he's been on such a great streak. And then, you know, that Boston game where he played 45 minutes straight without a rest, I mean, he, he deserves, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, a benefit of the doubt for a poor effort. But, you know, I think he was just part of the a group that was just tired and it just didn't seem like they had that extra uh, gear, as I mentioned earlier, to stave off a team that was just playing harder and wanted a little more. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. And I think I think there was certainly some good stuff there. And like he, he was able to leverage his speed in interesting ways. And I want to talk about that in just a sec. I want to talk about uh, Quentin Grimes, who I actually I thought this was a sneaky good performance for Quentin Grimes. But we will take uh, one final break. And then when we return, we'll get into all that on Locked on Knicks. All right, guys, you know what time of year it is a little bit past the midway point of the NBA season, which means it's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. These new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 as bonus bets. Back if your first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to points scored and threes drained. Uh, my favorite bet of the year uh, was one Alex recommended, throwing some money down on Emmanuel Quickly's uh, chances to win six man of the year. Now there isn't a whole lot of value there at this point, but you can find a lot of value in other outrageous Knicks bets, like betting on the Knicks to win the title. Uh, you can make a whole lot of money that way. And I'm starting to think it's not that crazy. So uh, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. So don't miss chances to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets. You can go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, uh, Emmanuel, quickly. Uh, yeah, I, he, obviously the, the shot was was not really there, but it's it's interesting like even even when he's not shooting well not playing that well like you you still see like and he just didn't like against boston he had all these self-created buckets where he would just literally go coast to coast and boston would be like what are you really like this guy's like six three he's gonna he's gonna dribble through a whole defense and quickly was like yep that's what i'm gonna do and he didn't really get to that point tonight because he probably just didn't have that in him but um i 
he he had another one of those like off a rebound, like kind of like a self-created fast break. This was early second quarter where he just kind of dribbled through the lane and like caused so much chaos that he eventually kicked it out to Quinn Grimes and Rozier did a crazy blind close out on Grimes, ended up fouling him. And that was, I mean, it was, obviously it's a good play by Grimes, but it was a product of quickly just sort of like putting a whole defense in disarray by going fast. And I think the Knicks just desperately need that element of unpredictability injected into their offense. They, they're getting it now with, with Josh Hart. And I think that's been a, a giant part of this nine game winning streak where we were Hart again tonight had a, had a couple buckets like that, where he just like never stopped when he was in semi transition. It didn't really mm-hmm. matter that there were three guys in front of him. And he just, he kind of just did like the, like Adrian Peterson thing and just put your head down, like right. barrel down the middle, get to the rim um, finish. Um, and then quickly even had another one where like, like he had back-to-back plays where the shot clock was down to two seconds and he got an and one on Terry Rozier and he, um, he had another play where his shot was blocked, but, but Mitch caught it and, and, and jammed it in. And it was because like IQ forced like the big to, to commit just by like jetting in with time with no time left and his speed is just, just an element of his game that I, I think he can, he can continue to weaponize more and more. And he's just sort of realizing like, all right, like I'm like, even by NBA standards, like I I'm special in this category and I can create some offense out of that. But uh, what, what do you think of um, Quentin Grimes tonight? Because I, I thought that was sort of the, the sneaky, like negative, I'm overusing that word, <laughs> negative storyline um, of the Knicks nine game winning streak was that Grimes had sort of lost all of his aggressiveness, like all of his, off the dribble verb that like when, when he first came to the starting lineup, all of us were, were swooning over. And, and tonight it felt like a, a little bit of that was back, especially in the first half. Yeah. He, uh, he had got, a, there was a couple of closeouts where he was able to get um, all the way to the basket, um, hit a couple of threes. You know, one of the things that I'm sort of just keeping an eye on, and it's a little bit of a concern where if you look at his shot chart, he is absolutely elite from the left corner or the left wing. And then all his shot zones from the, whether it's top of the key, the right, right wing or right corner, he's really bad. And it's just something that I'm tracking. I don't know if it's a, if it's a small sample size thing, but I think he, I looked at it. He was three for 21 coming into the game from the top of the key. And, you know, he's their main floor spacer in the starting lineup. So to be, at that level and to be an elite role player, he's going to have to be a little more versatile and where he can make shots around the court. You can't just be a guy that's going to, that's going to be awesome from that left wing or the left corner, because then teams are, you know, he's that closeout ability and that ability to get all the way to the basket only works when he's got that, uh, when he is a threat of a shooter. So I think that is going to start to be a little bit of an issue if he doesn't figure that out. I, I mean, I don't really have any, concerns that he he won't figure that out it might be just a small sample size but this year that has been something that has kind of creeped up a little bit and he had I thought on a positive side the bet the play of the night in terms of that fast break uh, uh reverse layup at the end of that second quarter and it just seemed like it was a big play sort of you know got the team in the locker room up 16 I believe and it, it, it seemed like they were going to be on their way to a 20 plus point uh victory or at least one that wasn't going to be close in the in the second half and then we all know how that end up turning out, but I thought he was really good. And it just seemed like he was an, a guy that didn't seem like he was, you know, sort of like running in mud or cement, you know, he didn't play as many minutes against Boston and just seemed like he had a little bit more juice to him and he only played 28 minutes tonight. So maybe again, we talked about those adjustments earlier in, in the conversation regarding Tibbs. Maybe this was a night that, you know, Grimes plays 35 minutes just because it seemed like he was at least moving in a way that, um, was generating a little more um, energy and juice to this ball club that was sorely needing it. So, 
Yeah, I thought he was fine. You know, again, the shooting percentage wasn't great. He was a minus in the plus minus category. But overall, I just thought he was solid. He had a couple of nice assists. And, um, you know, I, I, as I mentioned, that couple of closeouts, he even had that one play where it was like that baseline Jordan move where he kind of fakes going, his baseline fakes going towards the middle and then reverses course, goes back towards the, the basket, which was a really the kind of like eye-opening uh, move that he, he pulled out and it, it didn't end up uh, finishing with points, but he kind of shows every game that he's got a little more to him than sort of he has shown this year, you know, every and now and then he's going to do something that's a little bit surprising because I think he's got a little more in his bag than he's shown, but you know, overall a solid game. And just, I thought that he could have played a little more. I thought in the second half, they, they could have used him, you know, more than uh, he played. Yeah, I I'm, I'm totally with you on, on on the bag point in particular. I mean, he had yeah. um on on the play where he he got Mitch to dunk. He had like it was it was it was very subtle, but like he he got a step on Gordon Hayward, and then he, this was out of the left corner, and he turned back towards the left wing and looked out at IQ for a second. You saw Hayward kind of like mm-hmm. half look over there too, and then and then Grimes was gone. Grimes was by him. Hayward didn't have a chance. Big had to commit. Slipped mm-hmm. to Mitch. Like he, he, automatic pass for Grimes at this point. He's he's so I mean he's right there with RJ right there with IQ. It's just just being fantastic um, at that element of his game. And I I think my hope with Quentin Grimes is we're seeing a, a similar developmental pathway to what we've seen with Emmanuel quickly. Now we're, we're DJ. I think we were, we were probably both in the same spot last year with quickly where you, where you still saw the flashes, but you're like, sort of like, Oh, this is almost a, a downgrade from his rookie year where he, he got to play a little bit freer and he, he had just like these, these wow flashbulb moments. And mm-hmm. with Grimes, I think we've, I mean, maybe early on there was a bit of that. And, and he certainly, he had his, I can't remember the, I mean, he had the one game, maybe it was the Mavericks game where he just, he was just cooking. Um, but we have been had as many of those as you would think, given that last year, like, I can't remember, he finished the season playing with like 35 games and, and he had four or five games that made you kind of like question like, all right, is this guy, did we, did we get Desmond Bain somehow? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then this year just, it doesn't seem that way. And it seems like he's stagnated. So I'm, I'm wondering if like, maybe there's more meat on the bone there in, in year three. Four. Yeah. It's tough. I think for him, cause he'll go stretches you know, 10 minutes where he won't get a shot. And they ran a play early on. I think it was his first look. It might've been one of the first couple plays the Knicks ran where it was a movement. Um, He was in the left corner and he's really good shooting going to his right because he's kind of a, the way his form form is, he's like a right hip shooter. So when he's moving to his right, his balance and his alignment is very much uh, going right to the basket. So he's really good going off movement to his right. And they ran a play. I think it was a dribble handoff with a Randall, if I'm not mistaken, but it was a sort of movement play, getting him a shot, getting him a look, get him some rhythm early on. He ended up making it, but you know, it just seems like those uh, plays are few and far between. And I, I just don't know if there's much that Tibbs can do to change that where you're the, you know, he's the fourth, fifth option at times, depending on who's on the, who he's sharing the court with. So I think for him, it's just going to be a struggle in terms of just keeping his rhythm. And I think Obi is feeling that for sure. Um, you know, Obi's three point percentage is tanked as the season has moved on because he just, you know, when you're playing 12 minutes and you're getting a couple of looks and you're, you know, that hook is coming. It's just, I think it's just very tough. And I think Grimes to a lesser extent than Toppin, but I think he's might be feeling that when you're just going a long stretch without getting a shot up, it could be a, a little bit detrimental, but he just, he doesn't change how he plays defense. And when he can attack a closeout, his passing is always there. So I think, you know, overall, I think the season season has been positive for him. Um, maybe in a couple of years, he'll start to blossom and be able to show more depending on the roster construction. But right now I think he's doing his role well. Um, 
And I'd expect some of that shooting, the three point shooting numbers, you know, it's not bad, but he's at, you know, 35% on good volume. Um, but I, I think I'd expect that to tick, tick up a little bit as the season sort of comes to an end because I think he's a better shooter than he's shown uh, this year. Yeah, I think I think it's a great point, and it's maybe maybe one of the few detriments of of the Knicks' depth is that for for a young player trying to find himself, like and and especially like yeah, just as much as the depth, like the Knicks' success, like he doesn't really have room to to test the bounds of his game. And Tom Thibodeau, um, who who deserves a lot of credit, he's generally the Knicks' seemingly, I mean, Emmanuel quickly shining example, have had pretty good player development under him. Mm-hmm. Um, but Grimes, like it, it just feels like in a season that now has been become like, oh, we might we might win a playoff series. Like there isn't really room for him to like poke and prod and test those boundaries. And it, it sort of makes it all, all the more incredible that Emmanuel quickly is kind of like just ran down that door and, and, and found a way to do so. And and that that is as, as positive of a note as I can think to end this night on when the Knicks somehow lost their non-game winning streak to the Charlotte Hornets of all team. But uh, DJ, thank, thanks for making this a, a pleasant experience despite the game. Uh, before I let you go, can you just... Tell everyone one final time where they can find all your work and, and just anything you have coming forward, either for Nick's Film School or, or for your personal channel. Yeah, just follow me on uh, Twitter, Ace, A-C-E underscore Zulo, Z-U-L-L-O. Uh, I've been linked to my uh, YouTube channel. Uh, you can also search in the YouTube uh, search bar, Craft uh, MBA. You can get all my, I think I have 33 videos at this point. I'm going to try to come up with uh, a new one uh, either this week or next week on sort of when you know, certain players and how they reject screens, go away from screens. Uh, Jalen Brunson is great at that. Uh, John Morant's elite at that. Uh, Zion's actually really good at uh, rejecting screens. So just a video on certain players and how they sort of decide when to go with the screen, go with the screen or go away, reject that screen. So I thought that was, it's going to be pretty interesting, but yeah, we're doing some work for Nick's film school, but all my stuff will be on Twitter, uh, ace underscore Zulo. So you can just follow me there and uh, you'll get everything. All right. Thanks so much, DJ. Uh, Thank you for for all of you who who tuned in and have been tuning in. It's been it's been a great month for us. So we we really really appreciate all the support. And uh, we'll be back with uh, one more episode with uh, with Dallas and Nico uh, tomorrow, uh, talking about the positive adjustments that Tom Thibodeau has made that have led to this nine game winning streak. I, I ripped him a little bit tonight, but tomorrow it's, it's thirty minutes of of Tibbs positivity for all, all of you who love the guy. Uh, myself myself may be included on that list. Uh, but until then, we'll talk to you soon on Locked On Knicks.